All the time, that's right. In case y'all didn't notice, we have a very special guest with, with, us, with us today. With us today. Uh, we've all heard about and seen pictures and everything else of Miss Sophia. And she's here with us today. She's walking out of the, going to the children's church, I guess, but it's good to have her with us. And I know we've prayed for her for a long time and will continue to. And by the way, on that note, let me remind you that, uh, of course, Don and Quila uh, uh, Webb have been down in Austin. He had his surgery here recently. And the word I got was that he does not have cancer at all. <clears throat> and I say that because they told him he had stage 4 cancer when they headed down there. But the doctor said it wasn't cancer. And so I don't know the details yet. They probably will be home today if I'm, I haven't talked to them a couple of days. But it just, uh, I think they're headed back today, so they'll be back with us shortly. But keep them in your prayers. They still have, have needs of, of all kinds. So be in prayer for them also. <clears throat> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to... <clears throat> well, I lost my place here. Uh, Luke, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35... Through 43. Now, this is a story you probably are familiar with, especially when we start reading it here in a moment, you, if you don't recognize it right off. But it just has a lot of things to say about how to be a good Christian. And I think that every one of us in this room can identify with that. And so, but before we get there, I've, I've just, you know, I'm always looking out for the flock. <clears throat> Y'all are always on my, in my prayers and concerns. And I came across something the other day that uh, was going to help you. I know we just finished Thanksgiving, and I can look at you and see some of you over eight, but we won't go there. But I came across six findings about this time of year and our eating habits. So in case you're planning on overeating in December, here are some things. Number one. If no one sees you eat it, it has no calories. <laughs> Number two, if you drink a diet soda with a candy bar, they cancel each other out. If the soda weighs more than the candy bar, then you actually lose calories. Number three, if you eat standing up, it doesn't count. So keep these, these are important things to remember as we come into Christmas. Number four, desserts remove stress. In fact, stressed, spelt backwards, is desserts. Number five, food, foods used for medicinal purposes have no calories. This includes chocolate, cheesecake, ice cream when eaten for energy. So be sure how you eat it. Number six, cookies, cookie pieces contain no calories. The process of breakage causes calorie leakage. And the last one, number six, uh, oh, that was number six. That was the last one. So, so I hope that makes you feel better as we go into the Christmas season. And just keep those things in mind because it can save you a lot of worry if you will just abide by them. So... <clears throat> Today we're looking at a passage in the New, in the New Testament, book of Luke, Luke chapter uh, 18, 
beginning in verse 35. Would you stand with me as we read these words together? Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant, what was going on. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've called us together to worship together, to lift up in song, to have our prayers, to all every facet that goes on on a worship service. Lord, we just ask that you would draw us closer together. And Lord, you would be with our visitors that are here today whether they be first-time visitor or returning for many times, it doesn't matter. We just thank you for being here, and Lord, that they can just be a part of our service today. And Lord, we just pray that your Spirit just so fills this place, that just like that song that the choir just sang, come to the altar, that at the end of this service, this altar will be available for them to do business with you, not with us. We can't change their life one iota, but Lord, you can come in and change their lives. And, Lord, there may be somebody here today that's hurting for different reasons. Lord, we just ask that your Spirit fill each one of us and that, Lord, we'd obey your call, whatever they may be. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. In this message, we're going to examine an encounter with a blind man who felt a lot better, better, a lot better after he met Jesus. I'm calling this message, What the Blind Man Saw, because you're going to see here in a moment, this man, even though he was blind, saw a tremendous amount of things. Yes, he got his sight back. Jesus healed him. But even before that, he has some lessons he could teach each one of us. And so that's the point of this message today, What the Blind Man Saw. Let's, let's read that passage again that we just read a few mo- just a moment ago. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted it all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do? A pretty good question. Lord, I want to see. He replied, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. You know, one of the things we need to do more often is praise God. 
we need to, why do we have this ideal that we can shout and sing and do all these things, but as soon as the message parts out, we clam up and we don't say a word. I believe God wants to hear our praise, our amens and so forth during the service. Not just at a certain time, all through it. If God speaks to you, we need to speak out. This man, here he was. And by the way, let me. we know from Mark chapter 10, the blind, blind man's name was Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. For the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to refer to him as Bart today. And so blind Bart or whatever we want to do, but just I'm just going to use that. He can teach us a great deal about how to relate to God. You say, wait a minute. In this passage, he was just... He just met Jesus. How is he going to teach us anything? He doesn't know anything yet. Oh, but he saw more with his blind eyes before he met Jesus than a lot of people do after they meet Jesus. He opened their eyes. Again, his name is Blind Bart. We'll just call him Bart. He can teach us a great deal about how to relate to God. Your problem may not be physical blindness, but you and I need the same thing that Bart needed. He needed mercy in his life. He needs something he couldn't get. Let's study the story and learn five important lessons, things that, about the Christian life that we learn from this little short story real quick. Number one, faith is hearing and believing even when you can't see. Faith is hearing and believing even when you can't see what's going on. Bart was not only blind, but he was a beggar. Most blind people during this time in the history of the world, to most of, today we have productive lives. Blind people can have productive lives. They can work a job. They can do things and so forth, and that's great. But back in this day, in Jesus' time, blind people couldn't work. There was nothing for them to do. And the only way he could earn a little bit of money is to sit out and beg for it. Now, we all have seen beggars around the streets, around everywhere. I guess every city in America has some that are always asking for help and so forth. But it's every day Bart sat aside the road holding out his tin cup and asking for help. I need some money. I need to eat. All these things, which are legitimate causes. American beggars standing at an intersection. We see that quite often. It's very common around here. Holding signs that say, we'll work for food. Things of this nature. But some American beggars have uh, gotten somewhat creative. Here are some actual signs that beggars hold up around the country that America has been seeing. Why lie? I need some wine. Here's another one. We'll work for $40,000. Take my resume. I like this one. Tell me off. One dollar. And here's the best of all. This must have been a lady standing on the side of the road. Help me hire a hitman to kill my husband. So I guess there's always good excuses for something. In Jesus' time, beggars were at the bottom of the social ladder because they couldn't do anything, obviously. Only slightly more important than a dog 
is the way they looked at them at this day and age. Blind Bart couldn't see, but as many as as with many blind people, he probably had a very keen sense of hearing. Because because they can't see, a lot of times they'll develop just an extreme sensitive hearing, I guess you could call it. On the day described in our text, he could tell from the sounds that something, sounds of the crowd, that something was going on. And he asked, what's going on? Because he could hear the rustling and all the people walking by and things. And he asked this question, what's going on? Over the mumble of the mob, he heard somebody say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. No doubt, Bart had heard of Jesus. Perhaps he had heard about how Jesus healed people, even restored sight to the blind in some cases. Even though Bart couldn't see Jesus, based on what he had heard, in that moment he believed. Watch what he says. He didn't just believe Jesus was in his city. He believed Jesus had the power to change his life for the better. This blind man, he couldn't see who it was. He had heard the name. He could hear something going on. And so here he is reaching out. He cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The term son of David was one reserved for the coming Messiah, the king. It was a little it was a title of divine power. Bart was confessing Jesus was more than just a mere teacher. He was the king that was coming. You see what I mean? A lot of people miss that in that crowd today. But this blind man that couldn't see anything. He got it. He knew who it was. Faith is the first step you must take to receive the mercy of God. In order for you to receive God's mercy, you've got to take that first step. What is that step? Believing that God is who He says He is. And that Jesus was the physical form of God on the earth at this day and age. And He was there. And He did miracles and He did all these things. But the first step was believing it. You've got to believe it. Just saying the words doesn't accomplish anything. You've got to believe that He really is Jesus. He really is God in the flesh. He's here among these people that were sitting on this roadside. And folks, let me assure you, He's here today as well. He was the King. Faith is the first step you take to receive mercy from God. Faith is not just believing God exists. It is acting on that belief. It's staking your entire eternity on the offer that God extended for you to have a personal relationship with Him. You know, it just blows my mind when I think that the God that created the heavens, the God that spoke the stars into space, the God that created this beautiful earth that we have. When I call His name, He listens. Did you get that? 
when you call His name, He listens. He's such a busy God. But yet He'll take time for me when I have a prayer need to listen to my prayer. And by the way, He'll do the same for you too. That's amazing God when we think about it. Like Bart, not a one of us has ever seen Jesus in the, in the flesh, in the real. With our physical eyes, maybe that's a better way to put it. But I've heard about Jesus and I believe in Him. Faith is not just believing facts about Jesus. It is trusting Him with your life. That you come to a point and you say, God, I've messed this thing called life up so bad. Nobody can straighten it out except you. And God listens to us. And He takes our life just like He did old Bart. And He changes His life. And He opens new avenues He's never seen before, remember? For all we know, He was born blind and He's an older man now in this story. But yet here comes Jesus just passing by. The Bible calls Him the the King of Kings. But there was also another someone on the scene that day. Like Bart, we're all blind until we come to Jesus. There's someone who wants to keep you blind to the truth, truth of God. And the Bible calls him the God of this age. And here's what it says about him. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Did you catch that? Every Sunday morning, when God speaks to somebody, you need to change your life. You need to go use that altar. You need to take somebody by the hand and say, show me how to be saved. Old Satan sitting right beside you and says, you don't need that. You don't need to do that. You're doing all right in life. Look at yourself. You've got a good job. You work all the time. You've got good family. All the, You don't need that. Did you realize that Satan is the most continuous member in our church? Now, I hesitate to call him a member, but he's here all the time anyway. He's here every time the door's open. That's him whispering your ear at the end of service. You don't need to go up there. It's not going to make any difference. You don't need to get baptized. You just, you just, you accepted Jesus. That's good enough. Just stop there. In other words, don't do what Jesus told you to do. There's a saying, there's none so blind as he who will not see. Satan wants to keep you from seeing the truth about Jesus. You say, well, I'm in church. I don't expect you to see the truth about him. Oh, but sometimes he won't let you. You know, just about time you're really keen in and listen to what God's saying to you and he's speaking to you about your life and how it needs to change. Oh, Satan says, make that baby cry over there right next to her. Say, so get attention off of it. And little things always happen. You know, I could write a book about as a service is going on, watching people sometimes because Satan is speaking to them. And by the way, he's very influential. 
He'll talk to you and say, you know, it's all right to come to church. Just don't, just leave it there when you leave the building. That's all you got to do. Don't be a religious nut. Just enjoy life. God doesn't care about you. And that's every week somebody's fighting that battle. Similar to that anyway. It's not easy to believe without seeing. But that's what faith is. Perhaps they're like millions of other people who, have, who would believe if they could see some reliable proof. Their motto is, I'll believe it when I see it. We're going to do something this morning. I want you to just join with me. I'm going to ask God to do something right now. God, I want everyone in this building to see with their eyes that you're real. So right now, Lord, I want you to lift the top of this building, spin it around three times, and set it back down. Okay? Why didn't he do it? Why didn't he do it? But now, let's just go a little farther with that. Let's just imagine for a moment that God did do that. That this roof of this building just lifted off this building and spun around and set back down. Can you imagine for a moment what would happen if God did that? I suspect that everybody in this building will be at the altar in the service. <laughs> Number one, that's my first thought. But even more than that, we couldn't hold the people that would come next Sunday if that happened. This building would be packed out. They'd be trying to peek through these windows. I start to say crawl through, but you ain't going to crawl through those windows too. Well, some of you won't, but anyway. As the word spread around, next week there wouldn't be room for a person in here to sit because it'd be full. Right? Can you imagine how many people would be crowded into this building next week? Talk about parking problems. We'd have them next week. But to believe in God because you saw something like that, that's not faith. Understand, that's not faith. That's simply sight. That's watching something happen. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by, salt, uh, salt, by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. There's a lady named Catherine Harrison who is legally blind. She's developed a wonderful Bible study program. It's called Walking by Faith, Not by Sight. In fact, I think she does a lot of ladies' conferences and so forth. I, I don't know a lot about it. I've read a few things on her. But anyway, it's, uh, she, she wrote this up. By faith, Bart called out to Jesus for help even though he had never seen him before. When you hear and believe, you're calling out for mercy. When you begin to believe, you're calling out for mercy. The second thing we see, you must resist people who hinder your spiritual progress. When Bart cried out for Jesus, the people standing around that day, if you recall the story, says, oh, Bart, good for you, good for you. Jesus can help you. Call out louder. No, they didn't. You know what they did? 
They said, shut up. Don't disturb him. Instead of crying out for help for him, they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You don't need to do that. You'll find when you're bold enough to cry out to Jesus, not everyone's going to agree with you, not even your own family sometimes. Sometimes your family will be your harshest critics if you're not careful. In fact, there will be some people who will rebuke you and discourage you. And when you start getting serious about seeking God, He's going to disturb and discourage you every step of the way. They are. And He'll use sometimes even Christian people. You know, just because you're a Christian don't mean you don't make mistakes. I'm looking at a whole bunch of sinners sitting here. I'm sure glad I'm up here. But you know what? God tells me that every one of us are sinners. The only difference in us and some of the people out on this street are we're sinners saved by grace. They just haven't met Him yet. The voice of the crowd will boo you down. Our popular culture wants to mold you into being a clone like everyone else. You don't have to do all that stuff. You don't have to do that. Why bother coming in this aisle and kneeling at these, aisle, kneeling at these steps and asking God, what? just tell Him you want Him to come in your life. That's the same thing. No, but Jesus says, if you're embarrassed of me, I'll be embarrassed of you. And so it's in, there's an important part of it. Well, why do I have to be baptized? I mean, I took a bath this morning. Why do I need to be baptized? Because Jesus told you to. That's not our doing. That's Jesus. He said, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, then you'll be baptized gladly. What does that mean? What is a picture of it? It's a picture of somebody dying to the old life and being raised again in new life, just like Jesus did. But yet, it just blows my mind that so many times people that come and give their life to Christ and join the church and all the different functions, oh, I don't want to be baptized. I, I just don't want to do that. Something's wrong with our salvation. We're not willing to follow God. To start it off, let's move along. When you diligently seek to follow Jesus, you will face opposition and criticism. Paul wrote, A great door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Sometimes those who oppose you spiritually, progressively, are members of your family. And even other times are Christians. Because when you start being what God wants you to be, that tells them, I'm not what God wants me to be. And so they want to bring you down on that level. That's exactly what was happening to Bart here. I mean, Bart just received his sight. And they said, shut up. Be quiet. Keep it to yourself. But he couldn't keep it in. And folks, when you meet Jesus, you won't be able to keep it in, I promise you. Now, you may... Over time, come back down to where you don't want to be. 
But Jesus says, let it out. Let it be there. When these two people try to hinder you, do what Mark did. Don't let them intimidate you into silence. When they told Bart to be quiet, you know what he did? He yelled louder, Jesus! He wasn't going to let anybody stop him from reaching out to Jesus. He had a need in his life, and he didn't need his eyes fixed. What he needed was mercy from God, and that's what God gave him. And then Jesus said, your eyes are healed. Open them up and look. Bart turned up the volume. In verse 39, the word translated shout all the more. That's a good Greek word. It's called krazo. Krazo. However you want to pronounce it. K-A-R-A-S-O-Z-O. K-R-A-Z-O. Excuse me. It means to scream. And then there's another word that was used. And it's the instinctive shout of ungoverned emotions. A scream, an almost animal-like cry. The word well shows the utter desperation of a man. That was by William Barclay in a book, The Gospel of Luke, page 242. I like that. Listen to what he says again. The instinctive shout of ungoverned emotion. A scream, an almost animal-like. The word, well show, the word well shows the utter desperation of man. You see, when you get desperate for God, you're going to do anything it takes to get to Him. It doesn't matter. It'll be there. When the crowd told Him to be silent, He shouted to the Lord, Ah, Jesus, Son of God, Son of David. That's all He could care about. You know, I, I was reading a book not too long ago, in the early, early church history, back in the 1800s. And I didn't realize this, but at one time they called the Methodist the Shouting Methodist. Did y'all know that? I'd never heard it before. Because they were a lot more emotional in their services than a lot of Baptists were and are. Then later the Baptists got fired up, and some of them became called the Shouting Baptist. I think part of the problem today is that we've gotten too dignified to shout. We don't want to say anything in church. Oh, somebody will look at me funny. You let Jesus get a hold of him. He's going to make you shout. I think we need need to have a shouting church, folks. I think we need to lift up Jesus, whether it be amen or praise the Lord or whatever you want to say. Sit down, preacher. I don't care. (laughs) That's a good one. I figured some of y'all agree with that one. But what I'm saying is, why are we so mellow when we're in a building where God is moving at this very moment? God is here every service we have. Why are we so quiet about it? I bet you could go to the Copper's Cove football game and some of you probably embarrassing the rest of us the way you act at ball games. I know I've seen some of you, so just keep it in mind. Why is it we get excited about something, even music? Oh, we can let her rip on music. But yet, 
in a service. Oh, but we're supposed to be quiet and still. God didn't say that. Where'd that come from? God says, shout to the Lord. God says, praise the name of God. God says, worship with song and effort. I think that part of our problem is we've gotten too dignified to even shout. These days, the only shouting of Baptist or when we leave the parking lot and trying to get out and somebody's in front of you, you can't get out to get to the restaurant in time. Then they're shouting, but it's the wrong kind of shouting going on then. I like to think of Bart as being the first shouting Baptist. We're known as snoozing Baptist today, not the shouting Baptist. Oh, we sing songs like, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We will all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout victory. If you aren't shouting down here, what makes you think you'll be willing to shout up there? Number three, Jesus is never too busy to pause to help you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you've got in the bank account. It doesn't matter how many cars you've got in your car, in your garage. God says we're to praise. We're to praise Him. He's never too busy to pause to help you. Verse 40 says, Jesus stood still and instructed the people to bring Bart to him. By the way, he's instructed us to bring people to him as well. Did you ever realize that? That ought to make a Baptist shout. At this point, Jesus was headed for Jerusalem. This is just literally days before Jesus went to the cross. This story took place. At this point, Jesus was headed for Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And that included every one of you sitting here today. Within the next few days, he would face betrayal, arrest, torture, crucifixion. He was a man on a mission. Yet he paused to answer the cry of one lonely beggar. Think about that. Jesus was on a mission. He was dying to going to Jerusalem to die for you and me and hundreds of thousands of other people. But yet he took time for this one blind beggar, probably didn't have 50 cents to his name. He took time to show mercy on this man. That's the kind of God we serve, folks. Surely there are hundreds of voices in this crowd that day calling out to Jesus. But he was able to distinguish Bart's cry for mercy from the roar of the crowd. How did he do that? Well, first of all, he's God. That's how he did it. When you call out for him, he will stop and respond to you. The God of the heavens, the God that could snap his fingers in this world will be dissolved. The God that created all this beauty we see every day is willing to stop when you call His name. Now, think about that a minute. He is willing to stop and listen to you. Now, I'm looking at quite a few people here today, but you know, 
I just don't know if I'm that important in God's eyes. But God says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because you're one of mine. On another occasion, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house because his daughter was sick and dying. As they were passing through a crowd, a single desperate woman reached out and touched the hem of his robe. She had suffered with a blood disorder for many years, and she believed that Jesus could heal her. Even though Jesus was being jostled by the crowd, he noticed that single touch of that lady, the hem of his garment. How did he notice that? In fact, he said the words, Who touched me? And the disciples looked at him like, "Uh, Jesus, have you been in the heat too long? Everybody's touching you. And he said, No, I perceive that power went out from me. Isn't that neat? This lady was so desperate, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And it got his attention. That's why I say, when you call out to God, He's listening to you. He stopped and spoke to the woman, and he was, she was healed. You may think of a larger scheme of entire universe, you're not very important. This star that we live on, this rock that we live on, is circling a minor star. And you're just one of six billion human beings living on this ball. In spite of this, you're of such importance to God that when you call His name, He stops and listens. I mean, get a grip on that. That's just unfathomable that God will listen to me and you, His children. The mighty sun burning 93 million miles away from earth provides a gravitational pull that keeps us all, all the planets in order and so forth. The awesome God who keeps the entire universe running will stop and answer your cry for help as if he had nothing else to do but listen to you. That just blows my mind. On the way to the cross, Jesus had paused to help Bart. And whatever else he's doing in the universe today, he'll pause to help you. And let me close with a, I guess, a story. When you see the face of Jesus, you'll follow him everywhere. When Bart opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was the face of Jesus. Remember, he had been blind all of his life. Can you imagine opening your eyes and there's Jesus right there? So much. You don't need physical eyesight to see Jesus. In fact, people who are physically blind can often see spiritual truth more clearly than you and I can. The Bible describes it in that way. But let me tell you a little story. Most of you heard of a lady named Fanny Crosby. If you haven't, then grab that white hymn book in your book and look through it, and you'll see her name several times throughout there. Fanny Crosby was blind, 
Yet she was one of the most prolific hymn writers and poem writers in American history. She wrote over 8,500 poems and hymns, and many of them are in those books that's under the seats right there. Imagine a stack of 15 hymn books piled on top of each other. It would take that many to contain all the songs that Fanny Crosby wrote. Some of her more familiar hymns include To God Be the Glory, Blessed Assurance, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. Fanny wasn't born blind. She was six, when she was six weeks old, she developed a cold. A man posing as a doctor, now this is a long time ago, posing as a doctor had put some iPads on her eyes with some powerful medicine. The treatment damaged her eyes and she became blind. But Fanny refused to be bitter or angry about her blindness. At the age of eight, she wrote a poem reflecting her positive attitude. Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that, this in, that in this world contented I would be. Fanny Crosby could see better than most people could with both eyes. She glimpsed the glory and the greatness of God. And she looked forward to the time when she would see Jesus face to face. At the age of eight, she wrote a poem reflecting that positive attitude. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I'm resolved that, this, that in this world contented I would be. She went on to write other songs, obviously. And some of her best lyrics include, the, In the cross, in the cross. Be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Some music editors changed a few of Fanny's words because they felt it was offensive to people who didn't believe in the rapture. But Fanny was looking forward to the time when Jesus would rapture, return and rapture the church and be transported to heaven. Another familiar lyric she wrote was, To God be the glory, great things He hath taught us. Great things He has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, or victory in our case, when Jesus will see. The editors changed transport to victory. But no matter what word is on the screen, in the book, whatever you're looking at, I always smile when I sing transport because that's the way she wrote it. She would be transported. Like Fanny, one of these days, I'm going to be transported to G with Jesus. Fanny had a wonderful insight because of her blindness. And an interviewer once commented to her, I think it's a great pity that God did not give you sight when he showed you, showered you with so many gifts upon you. Fanny replied, do not, do you know that if it, let me start over there. Do you know that in a, if at birth I had been able to make a petition, it would have been for me to have been born blind? Why? asked the interviewer. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall see with these eyes will be Jesus. Wow. The title of this message is called 
what the blind man saw. Even before he was healed, blind Bart saw at least two important things. He saw his need. Have you seen your need? He saw an opportunity of passing it in front of him. And an opportunity was passing in front of this blind man. He couldn't see him. But Jesus knew he was there. And when he cried out, Jesus stopped and had him brought to him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. And Jesus says, you're healed. Your eyes are full. Open your eyes and see what God's given you. Today, Jesus is still passing by. You may not have another opportunity like this one. I encourage you to call out to Jesus today. What was that song the choir sang, Call to the Altar? Oh, come to the altar. I wasn't paying that much attention. No, I, I, I was too. <laughs> but folks, that's a, a true song. Oh, come to the altar. If you're here this morning and you have a need, you have something in your life you're dealing with, you have all of these things that go on, maybe you're trying to recover some things you've lost over the years. I know this is just the steps of the church, but it's our altar. And in just a moment, we're going to dismiss. We're going to have a prayer, and I'm going to invite you, if you're here today, and you need Jesus in your heart, you need Jesus in your life, you need Jesus in your marriage, whatever it may be, the same Jesus that was here for Bart is the same one that's listening right now. What is your need today? Would you come to the altar if it is? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ that died in our place. Lord, we turn this invitation over to you. We're not going to tarry long. You've, your words have been spoken. Lord, they've read the words that you wrote in the Bible. And Lord, if that doesn't convince anybody, then there's nothing else I can do. Lord, just open our hearts to be receptive. Maybe somebody's here today that's been a Christian for many years, but you just got away and you're just not like what you used to be. And you just need to renew your commitment. Whatever the need is, this invitation is open right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.